morning. Welcome. Glad you were here this morning with us. Thanks for taking some time out of your uh, Sunday schedule to, uh, to be with us, especially if it's your first time. First time in a long time. We are honored by your presence. Uh, we've got a visitor card in the bulletin. If you fill that out, turn it into the Welcome Center. Uh, we'll get you a free coffee mug full of a bunch of information about this church, Christian faith, how you can get more involved in this place and uh, get more plugged in. Uh, but thanks for taking a few minutes to be with us. Uh, proud of the team this morning for leading worship. Again, those crew, uh, that crew leads on a Sunday night, 6 o'clock. If you're looking for a, a longer worship experience, a little bit more dialogical sermon, uh, come Sunday night, 6 o'clock. We're having a lot of fun in that little chapel uh, on Sunday nights. Uh, I'm also proud of you guys. Proud of you for just your patience with us. You know, we're trying to still figure things out as we go. Um, last week, that was proven to me yet again with communion. My apologies for, for communion. In first service, it was kind of like a drive through I looked up at the clock. It was 9.29. It was supposed to be done at 9.30. So I was like, okay, grab your communion. Go, 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 go. Kind of awkward. And then second service, it was like herding cats in here. Like, communion, who needs it? Okay, you, back there. Take it. So uh, we're trying to figure out how to incorporate all the different elements and all the special things in each worship. So thanks for your patience uh, as we figure that out. Uh, if we don't get it right this side of heaven, I know on the other side, the banquet will be just right. So I'm not too worried. But thank you. Uh, for that. Also, in terms of the, uh, the worship stuff, proud of Kim. Uh, she has the week off this week. She's in L.A. Uh, at a wedding. But uh, she is so working so hard, and she is so excited right now uh, to, uh, to incorporate some of the older songs into some of the newer songs and bring a worship experience that blends all the different styles and generations. So I'm excited for you to see uh, what she's got up her sleeve when she gets back. Uh, on that note, on Facebook every week, on Friday afternoon, we're going to post the set list for what we're going to be singing on Sundays here at the Second Service. She's also going to link it to a Spotify channel. So if you want to listen to those songs over the course of the weekend and come here on Sunday mornings, you'll be well prepared uh, to sing it out. Is that cool? I think that's pretty cool. It sounded hip as I said it, like Spotify, Facebook, hey. <laughs> Don't even know how to do it, but at least it's there. Hey, this morning we are continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit, a series we've entitled Limitless. Here's the main thrust of what we've been talking about thus far. The night before Jesus died on the cross, he gathered all of his closest friends together. And he told each and every one of them he had a very special parting gift. It wasn't a gold watch or a sweet new pink Cadillac. It wasn't a week in his Caribbean timeshare, even an autographed copy of his best-selling book. The gift that Jesus was about to give to his disciples was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, according to Jesus himself, the gift of the Holy Spirit is truly God's greatest gift to us because it's the gift of God taking residence in us us. The Holy Spirit is God's life, God's breath, God's power, God's presence. Things that had at one time been limited to or confined to some building, well, those things now, because of this gift, they're now going to be in this body. See, the, the glory of God was always something that was kind of over there, but Jesus says, guys, the Holy Spirit is coming, and the glory of God will now be in here. And that's why he was so excited when he talked about this gift. And he wants us to be excited to receive, because we talked about this last week. Uh, there's a bunch of things the Holy Spirit does in our life. Among a host of other things, though, last week we looked at the idea the Holy Spirit is the helping hand of heaven itself. Because if you're honest, you need help, right? We all need help for one thing or another at one time or another. From doing the dishes to overcoming depression, from another school assignment to another round of chemo, we all need help. And Jesus said, help is on the way. I'm sending you the helping hand of heaven itself. I'm sending you the helping spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that's just the beginning. I have so much more to tell you uh, over the course of this series, so much more to tell you about this morning. We don't have a ton of time to do it, so let's just pray uh, that God will bless our next three hours together. 
Father, uh, we give you this time. Would you speak to us now? Would you fill us with your life and your love and your word and your spirit? As we believe those things will change us forever. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Recently heard a story about a church that, similar to ours, sets a time uh, sets aside a time each week for folks to come down front and receive prayer. Well, on one occasion, a gentleman came forward and asked for the lead pastor to pray over him. The pastor asked what he needed, uh, what he wanted help with, what he wanted prayer for, and the man said, well, I need prayer for my hearing. Before he knew it, the pastor had placed his hands on the man's ears and was boldly asking God to do a miraculous work in this man's hearing. The pastor's head was bowed low, his voice was raised high, and he was squeezing the man's head with great uh, vigor and fervor. At the end of the prayer, the pastor said, Well, how are you feeling, my friend? How's your hearing? To which the man replied, Well, I feel great, but my hearing's not until next Wednesday at the courthouse. (laughs) See, it's easy to misunderstand things, isn't it? And it's especially true as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of misunderstandings out there about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And that makes sense. Several weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is God himself. So if he is God himself, if he is an all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-knowing being, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. That's the luxury of being God. But when it comes to what he does in our lives, when it comes to the work of the Spirit, when it comes to the ministry of the Spirit, you don't have to look any further than his very name. Holy. Holy. The fact that holy is his first name would suggest that this is a top priority for him. And thus it should be a top priority for us as well. See, the word holy speaks to and revolves around the idea of purity, of dedication, To be holy means that you are set apart for God, different for God, and that you actually start to look, live, and love more like God. And one of the reasons the Holy Spirit has been given to us, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit is in us, is to make us more like him, to make us more holy. That's why sometimes he is depicted in and through fire. See, fire cleanses, doesn't it? Fire purifies. Fire refines. And that's what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. And so he's depicted as fire throughout the scripture. You see, church, you don't don't really need the Holy Spirit if you just want to live a life that's marked, marked by mediocrity. You don't really need the Holy Spirit if you want a religion that's just marked by kind of semi-morality or selfishness. You don't need the Holy Spirit if you're okay with going through the motions of life or just trying to be good enough or better than your neighbor. You don't need the Holy Spirit if you're satisfied with occasional church attendance or just giving a couple of dollars every now and again. You can do all that on your own. That's easy. That comes natural. But if you want more than that, if you want to experience so much greater than that, if you want to go deeper than that, if you want to be like Christ, if you want to put to death the sinful, selfish side of you, if you want to joyfully and sacrificially serve others, if you want to be holy as God is holy, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can bring those changes about. If you want to be holy, then you need to ask the God whose name is holy. Hopefully this morning we can move past some of the misconceptions that are out there and discover exactly how he makes us more holy, exactly how he makes us more like Jesus. This morning I want to share with you three C words that I think perfectly capture the essence of the Spirit's work in our lives and captures a fourth word, so there's just going to be C's all over the place today. 
Those words are convicted, convinced, and changed. This is the essence of the Holy Spirit's holy work in you. This past week, I learned of a middle school in Oregon that faced a really unique problem. A number of the girls began to put on lipstick whenever they went to the bathroom together. And that wasn't a problem in and of itself, but the girls started kissing and pressing their lips onto the mirrors in the bathroom before they left, leaving dozens of little lip prints everywhere. Finally, the principal decided something had to be done. So she called the girls into the bathroom and met them there with the custodian. She explained to the girls that lipstick prints are very, very hard for the custodian to remove from the mirrors every single night. To demonstrate just how difficult this task was, she asked the custodian to clean one of the mirrors right there in that moment as he normally would each and every night. So the custodian walked over, took out a long-handled bristle brush, dipped it in the toilet bowl, and scraped the mirror. And wouldn't you know it, there hasn't been a lip print since. But there's just something about conviction, isn't there? There's just something about uh, having your eyes opened to reality. There's something about coming to terms with the severity or stupidity of your actions. And one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, one of the main ways that he makes you more holy is to convict you. Look at John 16, 7. But in fact, it's what Jesus said, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And judgment, well, that's going to come to all because the ruler of this world has already been judged. See, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit convicts. That's one of the ways that he operates in your heart and in your life. He convicts people of their sin. What he does is he impresses upon people how far away they have fallen from God. He's the one who tugs on your heart to show you how desperately you need help. He's the one who reveals to you, you've been kissing the toilet every night. According to Jesus, he does this in three ways. The Holy Spirit will convict people of sin, showing them that sin is real. And it has destroyed their lives. He will do it by convicting them of righteousness, showing that righteousness is real, but only found in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will convict people of judgment, that judgment is real and something we will all face. See, the Holy Spirit convicts people deep in their core that they need Christ. And many of us in this room have experienced this work of the Holy Spirit firsthand, have we not? I mean, think about how people come to know the Lord, how many of us came to know the Lord how that first time decision was made for Jesus. Before any of us accepted the good news that we had a savior, we had to embrace the bad news that we needed saving, right? I remember hearing the gospel for the very first time. A man named Rick Hankins uh, sat me down at his dining room table. He was a youth leader at the, uh, at the church that Becca brought me to. And he walked me through at his dining room table, it was a Thursday night, I think, what, what I had done in my life and what the scripture said about what I had done and what that had done to my relationship with the Lord. He walked me through the scripture. When he was done, I kind of shook my head in agreement, thanked him for the spaghetti, told him I appreciated his time, and I got in my car and left. There was nothing more than that. But in the car ride back home, something hit me like a ton of bricks. I was with Rebecca at the time, and as we rolled back into her cul-de-sac where her parents lived, I started bawling like a baby. 
Not something you're supposed to do if you want to impress the 18-year-old woman sitting in the car next to you, right? I had no idea what was happening. I couldn't control it. But now as I look back in that moment, I know exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit moved into my life and convicted me. In that moment, the Spirit moved in and convicted me deep in my heart and deep in my soul. He showed me in that moment, in that car, in that cul-de-sac, how badly I had broken God's laws. But more than that, how badly I had broken God's heart. He convicted me in that moment of the severity of my short-sightedness and my selfishness. He showed me I was on a one-way road to my destruction. If things didn't change quickly, I was going to waste this life and miss out on the next life. I'm glad I didn't freak Becca out. But I was like, oh, God, 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 It's called the Holy Spirit conviction. Many of us know that feeling. Right? Maybe for you it happened at some evangelistic crusade. Your heart started beating as they said, if you want to make a decision today for Jesus, why don't you come on forward? Maybe it happened when you were watching a Billy Graham message on TV. You felt like he was just you and Billy talking. Maybe it was at a summer camp, a youth retreat. Maybe it was right here in this auditorium after some sermon. But the Holy Spirit comes down and he comes in and he convicts you. He convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. He peels back your pride, pops your ego. He throws out your facade and does away with your excuses. He reveals to you the truth. The painful, shameful, ugly truth. See, the word that Jesus uses here for convict is really um, legal language. He's saying the Holy Spirit's like a prosecuting attorney. The Holy Spirit will stand up before God and with you right next to him and say, God, this guy deserves punishment. This girl is dead. He will go over the course of your life, all that was done, all that was thought, and he will say, they deserve to be punished for this. He will make a very strong argument that you're in the wrong and that you will die. And he does that, guys, because he cares. I mean, it sounds so harsh, doesn't it? It's like, geez, Holy Spirit, like, back off a little bit. He convicts you because he cares. He cares so much about you, he does not want you to stay in that place. He does not want you to be ignorant. He doesn't want you to kiss the toilet bowl every night. He wants you to be aware of exactly what is happening. See, if he could care less about you, then he wouldn't convict you at all. He wouldn't seek to do anything to you. He'd just let you kind of wallow in your pity, wallow in your sin. Yeah, whatever. If you could care less, you would do less. But because he cares so much, he convicts. He wants to convict you of what's really true. Isn't it what Jesus said? What sets us free? Lies. What sets us free? Feeling happy. What sets us free? Truth. The truth sets us free. And the Holy Spirit will bring that truth into your life. And sometimes it won't feel so good. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of truth. It's what he does best and something that only he can do. I'm going to say that one more time. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of truth. It's what he does best and only what he can do. See, sometimes Christians assume that it's our responsibility to make people feel guilty, right, for their sin. Feel guilty for their shortcomings. It's up to us to shame people for their mistakes. Hostile sermons, uh, bullhorn-carrying preachers on the street corner. Passive-aggressive comments that we make to people about their lifestyle. We think that it's up to us to convict people of their sin. It's not up to us, church. It's up to the Holy Spirit. It's what he does and only what he can do. That's not our responsibility, not our job, and not our place. It's his responsibility, his job, and his place. So instead of pointing fingers at people or pointing out sin in other people, we pray for people. We plead with the Spirit to intercede and to convict people. And then after he does his work, that's when we get to step in. This is an amazing relationship the Lord has given to us. He convicts 
and then we get to love. He rips open and we get to heal. He breaks down. We get to build up. You see that? You wouldn't want it any other way. You don't want to take on the role of the convictor. You want to take on the role of the one who will introduce someone to Christ in love. Oh, he set it up perfectly. Conviction is one of the most powerful tools this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has, has and uses to make us more holy. Say that 10 times fast. Wow. It's especially true when you don't know Christ. Or he says he will convict the world. But it's also true after you've come to know Christ. Conviction isn't just a one-time thing. It's something the Spirit does over and over and over again. I was even talking to a, a good friend last night who about a week ago had hit rock bottom. He had to move out of his house because he just wasn't living a lifestyle that was conducive to a family environment. This is a Sunday afternoon. He turns on the cable TV at some motel room and gets what's on TV, some Christian broadcast. There ain't no Christian broadcast on cable TV in a motel room. It was just worship songs playing over and over and over again. Guess what happened in that moment? The Holy Spirit came down and convicted him. He was brought to his knees, repented in front of his family, seeking restoration. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings conviction. Anything that goes against his nature, anything that goes against his heart, anything that's unholy is going to convict you. But the opposite is also true. Anything that's of the Spirit, anything that is holy, anything that just brings you life, that should convict you as well. Many of you have experienced both sides of the equation, right? Like, gosh, I need to stop doing this. What is, what's going on with me? This is not good for me, Holy Spirit conviction. Man, I really need to start doing this. I think this would be incredible for me and my family, my, my faith. I've got to move, Holy Spirit conviction. He convicts you to be more holy. If it's not of the Spirit, it's going to convict you. If it's all about the Spirit, it's going to convict you. But here's the thing, church. To be honest with you, once you become a Christian, Conviction is no longer the Spirit's primary tool that he uses to shape and to mold you. What happens in us and through us and to us after we accepted Jesus, well, it should look completely different than before. That brings us to our second C word, convinced. A famous German violinist named Fritz Kreisler had an hour before his boat was leaving and sailing off to London. So he wandered into a music shop just downtown, and the owner asked uh, if, if he could see the violin that he was carrying. So he, sure, he handed it over to him. Well, the owner ran out of the back of the shop and returned with two policemen, one of whom says, you're under arrest. What, what for, asked Chrysler. You have Fritz Chrysler's violin. You stole this man's violin, they said. But I am Fritz Chrysler, he says. You can't pull that one on us, buddy. Come along to the station. Well, there was no time for prolonged explanations, so Chrysler just grabbed the violin out of the policeman's hand and just started playing the most amazing tune they've ever heard. And at the end of it, he says, you convinced now? You convinced now? So that's a question that the Holy Spirit is asking each and every one of us. Are you convinced now? Are you convinced right now, when it comes to making us more holy, the main thing the Holy Spirit does is try to convince us. He tries to convince us of who we are in Christ. He doesn't simply want to convict you of what you've done wrong. He wants to convince you that you are loved, that you are saved, that you are perfect, that there's nothing you could ever do to earn, prove, or lose your connection to Christ. He wants to convince you you are a beloved son and daughter of the Most High God. Look at Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are children of God. The spirit you receive, the gift that Jesus gave to you, does not make you slaves. So you live in fear again. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, 
Daddy. We cry out to God, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. During my competitive sports days, I had several different coaches throughout the years. Uh, and, and each of them had their own unique style, but I could basically narrow down a coach's style to one of two things. You had the yellers and the screamers, right? The guys that got really angry. Fitzpatrick, what were you thinking? You couldn't hit the side of a barn with an arm like that. Go run some laps. You know that kind of coach? Yeah, not so fun. Then you got the positive reinforcement type, like Fitzpatrick. Nice try. Nice try, buddy. But next time, how about you throw the ball to our team instead of the opposing team? That would make it a lot better. You can do it. I don't know what style you prefer, but statistics show positive reinforcement is 100 times more effective than negative. Fear, guilt, anger, hostility, yelling, running laps, that might get someone's attention. It doesn't change their heart. It doesn't change who they are. And God knows that. He knows that better than anybody else. So that's why he's given you his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is truly the most reassuring and positive person in the universe. See, as Christians, Jesus said, or Paul said in Romans, the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, speaks to our spirit. It means he speaks to our heart. He speaks to our inner person. And he reassures us over and over and over again, you are loved by the God of the universe. When he speaks to you, he's reminding you, you have nothing to fear, nothing to hide, nothing to keep secret. He is showing you and saying to you, you are fully, unconditionally, forever known, fully, unconditionally, forever loved by your Father in heaven. See, our spirit says, I'm such a, I'm such a screw up. The spirit says, no, you're not. You're a son and a daughter. I'm such, I'm such a failure, is what we hear. The Spirit says, no, you're not. You're the Father's favorite. I'm horrible at this Christian thing. I can't figure this out. I can't get this right. That's what the enemy wants us to hear. The Spirit says, you are holy. You are righteous. You are good. One of the Holy Spirit's desires, one of his goals is to convince you that you are a beloved child of God, not some stressed out, guilt-ridden slave. You are a saved saint, not some sleazy sinner. And a lot of you, to be honest with you, you haven't made that jump. You've been convicted, but you have not yet been convinced. And that will make all the difference in the world. To prove this, I want you to Try something this week. I want you to spend at least 30 minutes, just carve out 30 minutes. It's before you go to work, like the coffee table. Maybe it's after work. Maybe it's during your lunch break. Whatever it is, 30 to 60 minutes. I want you to carve it out with a blank sheet of paper right in front of you. And I want you to write down the thoughts that are going through your head during that time. Just write down the thoughts. And every negative thought that comes in your head, you do not write that down. Because that is not of the Lord. Your Father, the Spirit, will never speak negatively to you. Do you understand me? He will never accuse you. He will never condemn you. Yet that's all that you are hearing. I can't do this. I'm not a good mom. I don't know what's going to happen with the finances. We're not going to make it. It's worst case scenario. It's your evil. You're bad. You're not good at whatever it might be. That is not of the Lord. The Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit and says things like love, forgiveness, Father, wonderful, perfect, holy. Come on, church, you with me? That's what the Spirit is saying to you. And you've been listening to all the other voices for far too long. You can't even hear him now. 
You've got to cast aside all those other things. Here's another thought as well. The Holy Spirit will convict you, yes, but it won't be framed negatively. It won't be framed in a, in a condemning type of way. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's going to be very, very specific. Hey, I think you should call Sally back and apologize for what happened last night. When the enemy speaks to you, it's going to sound like this. Sally hates your guts now because of what happened last night. See the difference? But who do we listen to? Listen to the enemy. We listen to the negative voice, the condemning voice, instead of the positive convicting voice that wants to bring about our life and bring about our good. You've got to learn to hear the Spirit. It's always a positive, reinforced message of love. Always. See, when the Holy Spirit speaks to believers, it doesn't sound like the Old Testament. It doesn't sound like some really angry coach, right? The Old Testament law sounds like, try harder, do better, you failed. Watch out, but the Spirit speaks like this. Don't worry, Jesus died for that. You're good, your debt was paid, your sin is covered, your identity is secure. Oh, that's the stuff I want to hear. Look at Romans 7, 6. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law, so we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Romans 8, 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives us life. It has set us free from the law of sin and death. And yet so many Christians are still living in this worldview, this mantra, don't do that, it's a sin. Or you better watch out because you just sinned. No, 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 no. That's not the new way of the Spirit. There's a new way to live, Christian. There's a new way to experience God. He came to help you experience a Christ-centered, grace-centered, cross-centered life, not a sin-centered life. You need the Spirit to help you move from conviction into being convinced. See, he wants to convince you. It's not about being better. It's about believing more. It's not about being good. It's about loving a good God. God's goal for you is not simply to help you sin less. He died on the cross to make you sin less. You understand what I'm saying? And I love that word. I just had to say it a bunch this, this week in the office. It's like going everywhere, sin less versus sin less. Ooh! He didn't die on a cross to help you sin less. You are now, because of what happened on that cross, sinless. It's done. It is done. And the Holy Spirit wants to convince you of that. Because when you're convinced, your life will be different. So don't stop with the conviction. I don't want you to short-circuit that or move beyond the conviction. That's an important ministry of the Holy Spirit. But his primary ministry now in your life is that of convincing you. You are loved. You are good. You are perfect. You are holy. You are the Father's favorite. I can't wait for you to get up here. That's the message. Conviction and convincing. When those two things happen, the final C word will happen as well. And that word is change. When you are convicted of your sin, when you are convinced that you have a supreme, sufficient Savior, then everything changes, including you. That's the goal. 1 Samuel 10, 6, look at this. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. You will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being changed. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who, by the way, is the Spirit. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to make you more like Jesus. Being convicted is the first step. Being convinced is the second step. And being open to him changing you is the third step. 
In Luke 18, we read about a rich ruler who comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? What must I do to be holy as God is holy? And what does Jesus say? He says, sell all your possessions, give everything you own to the poor, and then come and follow me. Well, the man is convicted in that moment, isn't he? Because he walks away sad because he was a man of great wealth. Now, fast forward just one chapter later, Luke 19, we read about another rich man named Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. He's kind of a greedy punk. And Jesus invites himself over to this guy's house for dinner, which is kind of a funny story in of itself. But when, he, when he's convicted of his sin, we read this. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've ever cheated anybody of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now there's so much we could talk about from these two stories. But when you pit them next to each other, you see the difference? One man was convicted and walked away angry, hostile, sad. One man was convicted but then convinced that Jesus was better, that Jesus loved him. And those two things allowed him to be changed to a completely different man. We never read again about that rich ruler. Zacchaeus becomes a pillar of faith forever. He was convicted, he was convinced, and then he was changed. And we talk about him even today. Right, let, me, let me end with one practical thought here, one takeaway. How does the Spirit do all these things? How does he convict us? How does he convince us? How does he change us? Well, I think it happens through another C word. I'm all about the C words today. Conscience. I think one of the primary tools he uses is your conscience. See, every person on the earth has a conscience. It's kind of this right and wrong meter that God has placed inside of all of us. It's our moral compass, if you will. Author Peter Kreft said it this way, conscience is thus explained only as the voice of God in the soul. But over time, our conscience, this voice, this compass, it breaks down. The Bible says our conscience becomes darkened by the devil. But when we place our faith in Christ, when we are renewed, and washed and made clean through the Spirit. Our, our, our conscience undergoes this major makeover. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes over the conscience. Look at Ezekiel 11, verses 19 and 20. I'll give them an undivided heart. I'll put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And they will follow my decrees. They will be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Romans 9, Hebrews 9, all throughout the scripture, it speaks about a conscience that is working in collaboration with the Spirit. More than that, a conscience that is controlled by the Spirit. So those nudges, those longings, those uh, senses you get, that gut feeling you have at times, that's the Holy Spirit of God himself speaking to you now, directing your steps. You thought it was just like a weird feeling you had in that moment. It's the Holy Spirit Convicting, convincing, and trying to change you into something and maybe to get you out of something. I think he really utilizes your conscience now to convict you and to convince you. Don't just pass it off as some like fleeting thought, some weird thing you felt in that one moment. No, 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 no. That desire you had, that longing you had, that gut feeling, that urge, that sensation, that's your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit now speaking to you to convict, convince, and change. So if you want to know what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, well, you don't have to look any further than his name. The Holy Spirit is here to make you holy. He's here to make you more like him. And given what we've talked about this morning, it makes sense the Spirit would be, uh, be compared to fire. And it makes perfect sense. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come on up. See, fire does a couple of things, doesn't it? Fire 
cleanses and cleans out. The Spirit does the same thing when he convicts you. Fire illuminates and brings things to light. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing every time he convinces you. And fire brings energy and heat. That's what the Spirit does every time he changes you. So he convicts you because he's like fire. He convinces you because he's like fire. And he changes you because he's like fire. So last week our prayer was, Holy Spirit, help me. This week uh, the prayer is, Holy Spirit, make me more holy. And be careful if you pray that one, because when you pray that, you're also saying, Holy Spirit, convict me. Holy Spirit, convince me. Holy Spirit, change me. Whoo, watch out. There's some good prayers right there. Some great things can happen. Let me pray that over you, and then I'm going to ask the band to lead us in a song that asks for the fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit, to come into this place. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. He is truly the most incredible gift we could have ever received. Thank you that you did not withhold him from us, but freely gave him, and you have given him without limit. We want more of him, God. Last week we saw that he is a heavenly helper. We want more help, God. Send the Holy Spirit now into this place to help people through whatever it is they're going through. The good, the bad, and the ugly, help us, Holy Spirit. Lord, we also ask that you will come down now as the one who convicts. And convict those in this room, God, who are living these lives of sin, who have never come to terms with righteousness or judgment, God. Convict them in a way that only you can. More than that, God, many of this room need to be convinced. Would the Holy Spirit convince us this week that we are loved, that we are known, that we are accepted, that we are sons and daughters, that there is nothing that stands between us and God. There is nothing we could ever do to lose the promise of heaven or the affection of our Father. Convince us of that, God. It's not about sinning less, it's about being sinless because of Jesus, and we need to be convinced of that. Because when we're convinced of that, we will be open to being changed by you. I pray that those in this room who have remained the same way for years and years, they would begin to be changed by you, God. We don't want to be like the rich ruler who heard the message and walked away. We want to be like Zacchaeus who heard the message, was convinced it was a life-giving message, and changed his life as a result. So Holy Spirit, come down and do what only you can do. Make us more holy. Make us more holy. Send your fire into each of our lives this week and do what only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen.